So if you're anything like Axel, you're probably on your fourth D&D campaign and are really struggling to generate new NPC names. Or maybe you're like me and you just insist on giving names to every single one of your space marines. Or maybe you're having a baby here soon and you're sick and tired of all those boring baby naming books. Well then, I suggest you pick up Naming Your Little Geek by Scott Rubin. A perfect compendium of names from all over pop culture, complete with brief character synopses, origins, and root words. A fascinating read on its own, but really useful if you're trying to find a non-pun name for your Wi-Fi. Use the link in our description below and get naming. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, this? How's it going today, man? It's going okay. I So, my workout yesterday was on an elliptical, and so my thighs were killing me today. So I went on the uh, the bike instead, but because you're sitting down, I had to go an extra like half hour to to kill the same number of cows yep so i'm more tired than i might normally be and i'm hungry but i can't have any more cows for the night so i just get to be hungry for the rest of the night oh so this is gonna be hangry tired axel cool yeah. i can work with that <laughs> how are you i'm having one of those weeks where it seems like everything goes wrong mm, so like i'm not gonna things. go into detail about all of it because we're just gonna be here forever but it's just like Right down to the IRS decided I owed them more money than after I've already paid them. It's like, okay, really? come on now. Did I step on a leprechaun or some shit? I mean, you pissed off the god of technology. Maybe you pissed off another god too. Maybe. I don't know. It's just like one of those weeks it feels like a car crash. It's just like, all right. I don't know. I'm fucking exhausted and it's only Wednesday. I mean, I'm convinced that I somehow stumbled into a bad deal with an archfey at some point considering that. Anyway, similar issues. <laughs> Sometimes it just be like that. Yeah. But before we get on to a proper conversation, I believe you have a privilege. Yeah, we're going to list out the people who aren't having a bad week because they're awesome. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Gelly, Marky, Chris Chippen, River Gelly, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin A., Brendan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Dona Lucy, Carson Amell, Scott Ribbon, Derek Cutty, and Peter Cook. And if you'd like to join this list... If you'd like to join the illustrious legion, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. You help us produce the show. We give you extra content. It is a great symbiotic relationship. I did remember while you were doing that, the interesting thing that happened recently, my, my lady and I, we went to a costume party on last uh, Sunday and she spent like a month putting together this she like made a costume where she's a storm cloud but it's like in this dress and this hat and the hat's got like clouds that have like thunder lightning inside them because she's got like christmas lights woven into the cotton balls it's crazy and you went as a fire i, I got a suit with like flames on it and stuff i feel like hers was significantly better yes it is but we did we were on theme we were hazards pictures we look good together but yeah hers is definitely better but still, I, I got to give you credit because, you know, as adults, we all have visions of these really cool Halloween costume parties where we actually all make the effort to direct out, dress up, and it's like on TV. And it's never that way because that doesn't exist. And I hate movies and TV for convincing us it does. I hadn't thought about that, but I think you're right. She she won 
at two because she went to a party as well for like her family uh, that I wasn't part of that. But at that party and the one that we went to, she got like an award for best costume. Yeah, because there's some people that have the time and the skill to craft these things. Most of us are stuck trying to make the best of made in China costumes we got off Amazon or at Spirit. Yeah, basically. And, and I don't know, it's like a sad realization as an adult is like, you know, all those cool Halloween parties you saw on TV where everyone had awesome, really cool costumes. They don't exist. That's yet another lie. Yeah, sad. Why don't like we a four bedroom to... house on a two pair on a two person salary. I want to move on to a more positive conversation, but I actually have no idea if this conversation is going to go positive or negative. So, Auric, what are we actually talking about today? So I realized in all our bootobers, we haven't touched the classics. And when I I'm talking like about the classics, have, we haven't. I was going through. We have not talked about the Universal Movie Monsters. I swear I've talked about the Gill Man at some point. I'm sure but... we've talked about it like in relation to other things, but we haven't done an episode where we're like, let's talk about what is foundational horror. Okay. Well, foundational movie horror, at least. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to speak to our younger members of our audience. One, because according to our analytics, you barely exist. Two, I just don't understand you. But I feel like for our generation, the Universal Monsters were just kind of this nebulous part of growing up because they were on TV all the time because they were really cheap to license. It is funny because our childhood was basically... I, I, I don't know how strongly I feel with this statement. I have to really do some research to back it up. But I feel like our childhood was the last one to really be into syndicated television because yes. streaming basically became a thing while we were in, like, college streaming became a thing and we shifted from basic cable to satellite tv and that changed up the formula even more i guess is, I mean, satellite tv existed when we were young too yes it was, but it was it was it, yeah it was prosperative and it was a transition because when i'm talking like you had five or six channels that played over the air you had your local channels and the local channels would do all the universal monsters because they could get them cheap and like it's October, it's Sunday. The movie of the night is Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. And like, by I the think way, ABC play, uh, played it. it. was like, that was the ABC movie. They did one of these. Yeah. So Universal, right? Literally a company that basically made a bunch of these. It's been around for a long time. And yeah, made a bunch of these monster movies back in the, sort of been what, the 30s originally? It's like the 30s up into the 40s like the creature in the black lagoon i think is almost the 50s really okay but they made a lot of because frankenstein was the first one right i think dracula was the first I think dracula predates frankenstein let me check i think well anyway if this doesn't give it away to anyone who doesn't who didn't know the term yeah dracula frankenstein gilman wolfman invisible man the mummy bride of frank i think i mentioned bride of Frankenstein already but these were the, the main characters. And honestly, when I was a kid, I got introduced to them through comedy because Abbott and Costello did a lot of crossovers. Okay, with so Dracula and Frankenstein came out the same year, 1931. 1931, all right. That is, they are so much older than I originally thought they were. I thought Dracula was 40s, but I figured Frankenstein was early 30s. I, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's uh, time is weird in its own way. Because I recently, be, I got all of these on DVD or Blu-ray and I've been going through watching them with my daughter because it's it's really hard to find horror stuff that you can watch that's good for an audience under the age of 12. Yeah. And these slot right in. And it was fun like 
wow, some of these really hold up and are really good. And others like Dracula are so, so bad. <laughs> Bill Lugosi's still fun, though. Yeah, but it's boring. Like, they yeah. don't know what... It's so funny to see what they do with Frankenstein, what they do with Dracula. Like, Frankenstein, they kind of had an idea. Dracula's like, I don't know, have him stand menacingly. Well, it's especially funny with Frankenstein because... The source material. Okay, actually, this is true of Dracula too, to a degree, kind of for the exact reason you're talking about. Because if you read Bram Stoker's Dracula, the original thing, Dracula himself plays a very little part of it. He's more like this yep. encroaching thing that's always on the edge of like what's happening. Now he does show up, and you see him like climb down the side of a. He does a bunch know, of scary castle. shit, but yeah, no, but, he's not doing a lot. Which yeah, is weird the in the book. Part, in the movie, he does even less in the movie than he does in the book. Yeah, Frankenstein's even weirder because literally most people, their idea of what Frankenstein's monster is was from this movie, not yeah. from the book at all. Because yeah. once you, you know, most people at this point, I think most schools have Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as part of high school curriculum. If for some reason you haven't read it, it's actually a very good book. It's basically the first science fiction book like ever. Uh, and the Frankenstein's monster is so different in the original text than he is in that movie. Yeah, and that's fine. They're both good pieces. They're just very different. They do Mary Shelley so dirty in Bride of Frankenstein. They do. I don't remember Bride of Frankenstein. I remember the character of Bride of Frankenstein. I don't remember the movie. At I, all. Again, I'm rewatching these is fun because I haven't watched them since I was probably my daughter's age. Mm -hmm. But I've been letting her pick, and she wanted to start with Frankenstein, and she liked Frankenstein. And then she wanted to watch The Bride of Frankenstein because she wanted to know how Frankenstein lives because at the end of Frankenstein, he gets burned down in, you know, the mill. Mm -hmm. So she wanted to know how uh, he survives for the sequel. And it opens with Mary Shelley and Lord Byron and uh, her husband, and they're talking about, oh, that was such a scary story. And they portray, and the whole story of The Bride is Mary Shelley telling her sequel to Frankenstein, and she's this dainty, waifish, 1930s, you know, stereotypical woman. Like, oh, you bastards. Huh. You are well, doing, like, just cringing in fear of the lightning and having to hold close to her husband. I'm like, oh, you bastards. Well, I mean, you know that 1930s America couldn't handle the romantics. Not, I not know. Not in their real form. It was just so funny. I'm like, how dare you do this to Mary Shelley? <laughs> Yeah. Byron, like, Byron, okay, Byron, you pretty much got on hand because this is pre Hayes Code. So yeah, they can... but I feel exactly. I was going to say, I feel like even today, the literary community is still grappling with what Lord Byron, like, what was really going on with him. I, oh boy, yeah, no, but it's it's kind of funny. Like he's accurate because again, pre Hayes Code, they can depict him as as fruity as they want, and it's not going to get him yelled at. But it's like, and also, I understand that Bride of Frankenstein, directed by a gay man. I, I think didn't the, know that. Yeah, I think it's notable because it was the first it was one of the few movies to be produced by an openly gay man. Oh, that's very cool. That's fairly early too, right? Brian yeah. Frankenstein was when? 1930 it's not it's not long after Frankenstein because Frankenstein did. Yeah, it's, we're still in the 30s. That's insane. That's cool. That's insane. But yeah, Brian Frankenstein really really good too. Okay, uh, okay, before we get into cuz I know you had a, a kind of a direction for this conversation, so real quick. So, we've been talking about Frankenstein Right, like we said, the original Universal Frankenstein, which is uh, same year as Dracula, we'll talk Frankenstein first. They retooled Mary Shelley's story to make the monster a lot more of a monster. Not that he wasn't in the book, but a big part of the point of the book is that 
Frankenstein himself and his monster are basically equally monsters in different ways. Yep. There's a lot going on in the book, actually, and a lot. Oh, the debate. book is very. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the the movie, I mean, he's sympathetic. The movie makes it clear that the the entity, the monster is basically a child, but he still chokes people to death. <laughs> Well, the thing of watching it with my daughter was great to watch her reaction as she just she even fucked up. Oh, Frankenstein's a child. Why are they being mean to a child? He killed someone. Well, of course he killed someone. All he's ever known is people being mean to him. I mean, that's completely fair. Like she's watching <laughs> it go through and he's just like, no, no, this is all justified. They're being mean to Frankenstein. He only knows to be mean. And then, you know, he finds a girl that's nice to him. And he's like, oh, cool, friend. And then because he's a child, he accidentally kills her. And then he's like, oh, shit, everyone's mad at me again. Doesn't understand why. Your daughter is going to be scary when she's a teen. I'm just saying. You uh, can see, I can see it now. Oh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think about it, man. That just, no, I don't, I don't, again, I don't think about that. That. <laughs> anyway, no. so yeah, that's Frankenstein. Dracula. Man, I haven't watched Bell Lugosi's Dracula since I was probably about 10 years old. So you tell me how how close is it to Bram Stoker's? Besides, uh, you yeah, you just go ahead. It's it's nothing like Bram Stoker's novel. Like Renfield replaces uh, Harker. Okay. Um, the opening's kind of the same, but he's immediately captured and taken prisoner by um, Dracula, and then we jump back to the states, and then. Uh, Lucy and oh, whatever the main girl Harker's love interests were get combined, and like Dracula's just hanging around with all these people. Like he's just, hey, I I'm Count Dracula. I'm an eccentric rich dude. Yeah, but if you're listening to this and you've never watched it, or somehow don't know the name Bell Lugosi, who's the actor who played Dracula, your Dracula impression that you definitely have only exists because Bela Lugosi's performance. And he's doing a great job as Dracula, but it's very clear they have no idea what to do with him. So they're just kind of like, okay, go stand over there and look menacing. Okay, now turn into a bat. He's very good at standing and looking menacing. (laughs) And I don't know if that was the reason or because he spoke so little English, they didn't know how to direct him. Hmm, that's reasonable. But it was just, it was the first one we're all sitting here going, oh, this one's just boring. Mm. Like, what the hell? This one is just is dull and plodding. Okay. So how does it end? They Dracula is trying to Harker. I'm trying to remember because it, it really. So they find where Dracula's tomb, you know, is his castle, which is the same castle he has from Transylvania. They reuse the set. <laughs> OK, they don't even try and hide it. I'm like, I get it. That was a fucking expensive ass set. Go ahead and reuse it. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically, they track him down there and then they murder him. And then it's all, is he asleep when they murder him? No, he's like not in his coffin. Oh. And then I think they just like turn around and then they just stab him. It's really anticlimactic. Hmm. I wish I could remember more of Dracula, but the entire family was so checked out of Dracula. We're just like, oh, this is a letdown after the bride and, you know, Frankenstein being really, really good. All right, well then tell me the rest of what happens in Bride. Because again, I don't remember Bride is so good because Frankenstein survived. Frankenstein's the monster survived. Mm-hmm. And there is this one woman doing this over-the-top Cockney accent throughout. Okay. And she's my favorite part. Like, she discovers that the monster's alive and she just goes running back to Castle Dra- uh, Frankenstein where, you know, 
the doctor magically survived. And she's like, Doctor! Doctor! The monster's alive! The monster's alive! Oh my gosh! And it's just this hammy, over-the-top, insane performance. And even the Count, frankly, like, shut that woman up and get her out of my sight. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't blame you. It's that good camp. Yeah, it's it's great. It's so stupid and over the top. And perfect. but anyway, what what happens then? So then we get the story, and this was fun because all the Frankenstein stories have kind of melded in my head. Uh-huh. This is where Frankenstein goes, and he meets the blind hermit who befriends him. This is in Bride of Frankenstein. That this happens? is in Bride. I thought this was in the original, but this is in Bride. Okay. And so, um, I mean, I I admit that. I uh, unfortunately have mixed this, the original version of that scene up with the young Frankenstein version yep. of that scene. That's also on my list to show my daughter now. I think she's old enough. She'll appreciate that one. Young Fra- um, now that she's seen Frankenstein, yes. she absolutely now should. she's at the point of references. But, you know, that's a great scene because he's nice and he's teaching Frankenstein and Frankenstein is learning. And my daughter's like, oh, he's got a friend. And then people show up to kill him again and burn everything down. He's like, God damn it. No. And that's when he starts like he recognizes that he's alone and he's sad that he's alone and he just wants a friend. And there's this weird scene everyone forgets. But we meet Dr. Frankenstein's old professor who wants to help him, wants him to make another monster. And he brings out a series of homunculi. Okay. Like, no joke. They're literally homunculi. And it's like, so the first up, well, this is the queen, and it's this little queen. And this is the king, but he's super horny for the queen, so I have to keep them apart from each other. What is this doing in the middle of my Frankenstein movie? And this, this is the bishop. And, you know, he's very lazy. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And this little fellow's the devil. Isn't it weird he looks just like me? Anyways, Dr. Frankenstein, I've managed to make life, but I can't make my life big. So I need you to help me make life big. And I'm like, no, no. Go back to that whole weird intersection there with the homunculi. I feel like that undercuts a lot of the entire point of the first movie. But, alright. it's weird, it makes no sense, and it's never mentioned after this. So then this Doctor and Frankenstein team up because Frankenstein wants a bride because he doesn't want to be alone anymore. Yeah, and by the way, don't get pedantic with us about... Frankenstein versus Frankenstein's monster. Everyone, yes, you know what I mean. I, I was going to be like, no, that's just it's tedious and it's going to take forever. I'm going to be here all night. Yeah, I'm just I'm just putting it out there. We know, we know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Frankenstein and the monster and this other guy all team up to make a bride for Frankenstein. Uh, and basically, we get to the fight, and the bride doesn't show up to like the final ten. Really? Yeah, very small part of this movie. But she is immediately freaked out and hates Frankenstein, does not want anything to do with him. And he utters these great words and like, we were not meant to be alive. And then just kills himself and the bride. Jeez, okay. And I'm like, oh, it's really good. And I asked my daughter, she's like, I liked it. I felt bad. All Frankenstein wanted was a friend. And everyone just kept attacking him. It's not nice. <laughs> and I love well, she's she put on the it. Right she said, there. you know, if Frankenstein would never attack anybody, if they just were nice and left him alone. He's like, you're not wrong. That's that's 100% I mean, the story. But he might accidentally kill more people. Maybe, but it, like, then you get a whole nature versus nurture argument of Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. Like, listen, because the not minute he thing. was born... We saw him accidentally kill someone who wasn't trying to kill him. So yeah, I, but that was more he freaked out. Right? He was a kid. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm... I mean, I'm I fall down on the side that uh, you know of the creature in the original book over the doctor. <laughs> I think I've you're been supposed in that to, but 
uh, it's iffy. I think that Mary Shelley specifically wrote it so that you can argue both ways. It has been a very long time since I've read that book, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, that brings us to the next one, at least on the bullet point list that Ulrich has here, which is my favorite of this group because it's the one that terrified me the most, which is the creature from the Black Lagoon, also called the Gill Man, because it's easier to say that than creature from the Black Lagoon. Yep. And I feel like Gill Man, in comparison to everyone else in this list, has had the fewest resurgence things. Like It's, it's can... really weird. Like I haven't, yeah, got like, around, I... I haven't got around to watching this one yet. But Gilman's fun because he marks the delineation between the classic classic monsters and the atomic era monsters. Hmm, I didn't know that. The only, but the only resurgent thing I could think of is the Shape of Water. Now, admittedly, the Shape of Water won a shitload of awards, so it's probably a big deal. But whereas I could think of, you know, numerous instances of Frankenstein showing up in in movies. Frankenstein, movie. Dracula. Yeah. We keep coming Dracula back to husband. the Mummy. We keep coming back to a lot. Yeah. The Gilman doesn't get like retouched there. In fact, to my knowledge, there has there ever been like a proper remake of straight up the creature from the Black Lagoon? Not that I know of. Yeah. And the Christian Black Lagoon is great. I mean, it's in that it's super creepy in that old black and white way, but since everything's about water, there are these beautifully gorgeous shots of like the of stuff happening under the water that still scare me. <laughs> yeah. And the dude in the suit had to learn to hold his breath for like minutes at a time. And the suit looks great. Like yeah. it's, it's, it looks great in that kind of like, he doesn't seem intimidating in the same way that, you know, Frankenstein is because of how big he is or Bela Lugosi's Dracula is because he's got that like, you know, just, I don't know. It's hard to explain Bela Lugosi's scare factor. The, the Gill man is just unsettling. I think yep. because of how close to human it is without actually being human. Yeah, it's got... Again, it's all, I haven't gotten to that one yet, but it's one that's high on my list. Admittedly, I haven't rewatched Creature in the Black Lagoon in many years. Maybe I would hate it if I rewatched it again. I just remember having strong feelings about it, and he was and him being my favorite Universal monster. The thing about that... all of these is even the ones that have been bad, there's parts that I enjoy the hell out of. I also like that he was the classic steal steal a pretty girl. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of like oh, you know what? Monsters get lonely too. Yep. The next one on the list is the Wolfman, which I always love because of the distinction between a Wolfman and a Werewolf, which so, really just comes. It, it's a pedantic thing, but it's kind of become a not pedantic thing over time. Well, fun fact: you, Do you know why he's called the Wolfman? I don't. I think I've heard this fact before. But you, because but you can't trademark Werewolf. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. Universal trademarked the word Wolfman because they couldn't trademark because they couldn't trademark, you know, Frankenstein or Dracula. So they're like, okay, God damn it, we're trademarking this one. Yeah, and so the Wolfman originally was basically just straight up a werewolf. Over time, those words have come to mean basically different types of lichens, just come down to like what their shape-shifted form looks like. But the original Wolfman did that that old school transition effect to, to create the, the transition. The trans effect is so fucking good. Yeah, it, it's funny because it's it's always very slow and it has this like fade and you can tell that it's just a matter of technology. But I don't know. It, it looks cool. I it's, like it's the fun old... classic movie magic. Yeah. And yeah, the old school Wolfman was just guy turned into a wolf person. And I don't remember the plot line. Of I, I don't the plot line of many of these. Yeah, I remember more of the plot line of the Invisible Man, but that's just because I watched the, the dead meat for it like last year. But anyway, the Invisible Man is about a guy who 
found out a, found a potion that made him invisible. And not like he can turn invisible; he just is invisible always. Yep. That one again has some of the like the effects on that one are still cool today to see the crazy shit. Like, okay, how'd you pull that one off? He also has one of the highest kill counts of any uh, movie monster. He's a murdering he, motherfucker. Yeah, he derails a train and kills like a confirmed 120-some people. Yeah, no, he's a fucking psychopath. Yeah, and he's uh, also, unlike all the previous things, except for maybe Dracula, Dracula's, you know, account, the Invisible Man has this ridiculous arrogance that seems to come from nothing other than, I mean, he's figured out how to become invisible, yeah, but... Part of what's enjoyable about watching those scenes, because I've watched the scenes there recently, is he just rants about yep. like how great he is. Yeah. Again, I watched this one not too long ago. I haven't rewatched it recently enough that I can break it down. But the one thing I remember coming away with is the effects on this are still impressive to this day. Mm. In a way that all these movies, there's bits and pops. It's like, no, no, this is really cool how they did this. Like, yeah, some of it looks cheap. But the makeup still looks cool. The set design's iconic. Some of these effects are really just, they don't do it anymore, you know? And the last one we have on this list is The Mummy, which is the one that I know the least about because by the time I was old enough to start paying attention to things like that, I Brendan Fraser's Mummy had come out. And so that was what The Mummy was in my you know, growing mind. So I never even made the connection to the... I'd seen like the Mummy character in an Abbott and Costello bit, but I never like connected it to a movie yeah this is what i've actually of all of the universal movies this is what i've never seen so I, we, both of us are in the dark about the mummy all i know is that bella lugosi also played the mummy he did yep oh shit that's cool all I right i don't know or i don't know is it oh no i might be getting it mixed up i don't know if bella lugosi played the mummy or the actor played frank's i played the movie. let me i bet that. that's more likely because the stature I of the guy feel who like played the faces frank, are so. the same yeah yeah that makes more sense and when I think about the Holy second, shit, the movie's nineteen thirty-two. It is Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff, yeah, yeah. He's got the he's got the face. By the way, if if you're listening and you don't know the name Boris Karloff, the most famous Halloween song ever, the Monster Mash, is done by a guy who is doing a Boris Karloff impression. Yeah, again, he's the voice of Frankenstein. He doesn't talk a lot, but you know him. Man, I'm looking at the dates for these. They release these movies almost back to back to back to back. And then of so course, it was like all early 30s then? It's like Dracula's 1931, Frankenstein's 1931, uh, The Mummy's 32, Bride is 35, Invisible Man is 33. They were cranking these suckers out. And, and the then mummy? we're not even talking about all the countless ones they stuck in between them, like The Son of Frankenstein, The Mummy's Curse, Drac Bride of Dracula. What year did The Mummy come out? Mummy's 32. 32? Oh, okay. 33. So, so it's literally all 31 to 35. It's a yeah. four-year period. They just, all right. again, cranked these out, which is insane. So funny thing, and I think the impetus for this conversation, is that Universe has tried, because they basically created a situation where there was, this is one of the, probably the first cinematic universe. Yeah, it maybe. is credited as the first cinematic universe. Yeah, because they did end up all crossing over with each other into various things. Like I've mentioned several times, Abba and Costello met like all of them at some point. Yep. And, and I remember loving Abba and Costello meet the Wolfman. I don't remember any details of it. I just remember watching Abba and Costello it. meet Frankenstein, which has Wolfman, Dracula, and... I thought it was its own unique Wolfman. one. Okay, I believe it's you. Called, <laughs> it, it, is, it is great. I rewatched it recently and I'm like... 
I love this. This is so great. Abed and Costello are still fucking hilarious. Even outside of the who's on first, it's still. Although who's on first is still. Who's still on first. I, re- I rewatch it every couple of years and I showed it to my wife and daughter and they were both laughing. I'm like, this is pure comedy gold, but there's so many other great bits. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I grew up on Abbott and Costello. I just fell down an Abbott and Costello rabbit hole the other day. Cause this is again, it's straight. It's perfect. Straight man, funny man comedy. Yeah. But like the sound of. Of Costello yelling, Abbott! is <laughs> brained in my head, in my memory. Oh, like I said, and it's funny because this is it's like 55, so 55, 56, somewhere later. So Bela Lugosi's a bit older, mm-hmm. but they hide it by he constantly has the cowl drawn up over his face. as <laughs> the iconic look, and it's like, you know what? I get it. I understand why. But yeah, no, it's great. And yeah, no, this was the first, like they all united. There was an implied shared continuity of they're all kind of sort of taking place in the same era or same place way. Yeah. So one of the things that got us to talk about this really is that I'm sure if you're listening, you are aware of this already or maybe not because it failed. But Universal has tried now on basically two separate occasions to recreate well, the depending how Universal... far you want to go back, they've done this yeah. a couple times. Like the Dark Universe has two failed starts. Exactly, that's what but I was focusing on the Dark Universe. But yeah, you you could you've go got back further. the Wolfman, the twenty what? No, that was two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine. I think so. Somewhere you had the Wolfman. That was an attempt at that one. You had Brendan Fraser's The Mummy series, which was a reboot of The Mummy. Yeah, but I feel like those movies were never trying to... They weren't trying to kickstart the cinematic universe, but it was Universal looking at, we have these characters, why aren't we doing something? You can go all the way back to 2002, 2003's Van Helsing as an attempt. Well, we own these properties, why aren't we using them? Van Helsing, I think, I still maintain that Van Helsing is a great idea held back by a lot of little things oh yeah but no van helsing's a fun one like i see what you're trying doesn't yeah, i actually together. i really like that movie i would never argue that it's good but i will argue that it's fun i think it's a few it's a it's an easy fix of can less monsters you don't need all the monsters out the gate pick one and go from there. two i think i think that we just didn't need frankenstein's monster and we definitely didn't need uh jekyll in there I the, I don't know. The Jekyll and Hyde would have been a cool opening one to do because Jekyll and Hyde really doesn't get used that much. Just too bad because I adore me a Jekyll and Hyde story. Yeah. Of course, I grew up on the Page Master, so that version of Jekyll and Hyde is in my oh, yeah. psyche. Dude, that's a fun one. How do you remember the Page Master? I showed that to a girl that I was uh, dating a couple of years back who had never heard of it, who was like really into you know, a lot of the same kind of, or I think she like wanted to be a librarian or something. And I was like, Oh, you grew up on the page master. And she didn't know what I was talking about. It's like, we're watching the fucking page master. <laughs> I don't know if it's good. I just remember that it, I watched it a bunch as a kid. I, I don't know if I could call it good. It's, but it, it the animation's good. I remember here's that what I'll say. It is a good set of vignettes. Yes. Which is all it's really trying to be. So I think it's good at what it sets out to do. That I remember. I just remember the animation looks like it really held up. Plus I don't Patrick know. Stewart is wonderful as adventure. <laughs> At some point, we got to talk about the decline in children's animation from when we were growing up to now, because it's directly um, responsible of Disney became a monopoly and crushed all it opposed. I don't like the word decline, but there is definitely a shift we can talk about. But that's another yeah. recording. Yeah. Anyway, what's relevant here is that 
yes, they've tried. They they've rebooted they several of these things. Like I mentioned, and like Ulrich mentioned, the Mummy became a Brandon Fraser movie, and it is a lot of people my age group and my social circle have attributed the Mummy as basically defining their sexual orientation. That's because realizing. they packed that movie with hot people. You are absolutely correct. There, there is no arguing. They did not get all the attractive people they could into one movie. And they said, let's put it in the desert where they're hot and sweaty. Yep. Accurate. Brendan Fraser has talked about that movie. And he's like, well, I was coming off George the Jungle, which was a diet where I ate things that looked and tasted like styrofoam. And they said, hey, do you want to do another one while you look this good? He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? I love I, I saw some interview with Brendan Fraser. It was like right after The Whale came out where they were asking him about the mummy. And they asked him, would he do a fourth one? And his response was, do you have a script? No, again, he seems to have real positive memories of that movie. And it's a it's a fun movie. It is schlocky and dumb, but it is well, fun. Weirdly enough, I always felt like The Mummy was kind of like the version of Indiana Jones that was just a little more adult. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a positive or a negative, just as a different, you know, like like a, like if Indiana Jones was recreating pulp stories that were aimed at, you know, 10 to 12 year olds, then Mummy was more like recreating adventure stories aimed at like 13 to 15 year olds. Well, the Mummy got to be a little bit hornier than Indiana Jones ever did, which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. Considering Indiana Jones is not lacking for horny scenes, but yeah, something about how they're shown is. I think it's the, it's the early aughts kind of horny that they got away with. Yeah, but that the mummy ended up having what uh, two sequels and a spinoff, and I don't know. Oh, well, how okay. I, if we're counting the Scorpion Kings, they made so many of those direct to DVD. Okay, I'm not counting anything direct to DVD. That's a different conversation entirely. Yeah. Then it was remember, the mummy, liking, the mummy two, the mummy three, Scorpion King. It wasn't the mummy two, the mummy returns. I think so. I remember liking that one, but I don't think I, like I ever parts saw of it. I don't think it's yeah. good. I don't think I ever saw the third one. I definitely didn't. See I the saw the thing. third one because it was on TV and I'm like, I got to watch something. This is on. Let's see how bad it is. And I have no memory of it, except that Jet Li was the Dragon Emperor. Oh, that's right. I remember hearing that and being interested in it. But yeah, I never saw it. So I can't say I can't. It. it I know it wasn't good. It has Yetis. Yetis? There are Yetis in a mummy movie? Yeah. That doesn't make a lot. All they right. They went to China. They went Chinese mummies. I'm like, I get what you're going for, but no so and then, much no and then like you said there's the 2008 2009 2010 whatever it is the wolfman there which i only remember that anthony hopkins is in it and he's he's i think he's a wolfman but he's not the wolfman yeah benicio del toro is the wolfman and it's That's right. boring it was before i knew who benicio del toro was yeah great casting all around terrible script i've God, watched boring movie it's funny because when the Wolfman in that movie is doing Wolfman stuff, it's awesome. Yep. It just basically doesn't happen nearly enough. Yeah, I tried to watch the movie so many times like, no, I love the Wolfman. This is a good cast. I will like this movie. Nope. It's weird that the best Wolfman thing we've had in the last, like, 60 years is a Marvel short. Oh, <laughs> with, yeah, talk uh, about uh, Werewolf by Werewolf Night. By right? Night. Werewolf by Night is Wolfman. It's, yes, it's, it's just Wolfman, Wolfman story. It took all of these fun universe. It did it in black and white, so it, and it had the effects similar to it was again. It's so weird that Disney went, "Hmm, we have a character that's the Wolfman. Let's make something with that." 
Yeah. And I it love worked. that they could have made it like Disney has the money. They could have made him a more contemporary werewolf, but they specifically made everything about him old school Wolfman. They made everything about that movie feel like a classic universal. Yeah. And they're really anyway, using it in color this year, which I don't know. I mean, it's still going to be good, that. but I think part of the charm is seeing that old black and white. And well, seeing... there are some people, and this always makes me sad, who are very turned off by things like that. I mean, for instance, you yourself have mentioned that you, one of the reasons you don't care for manga is because you like color. Yes. So you take that same mentality and apply it to people with movies. And, and I'm not going to say it's not an issue. I 100% get it. I don't like how many movies think, oh, if I do black and white, it's artistic. I'm like, eh, not really. Werewolf by Night works in black and white because it is directly homaging back to these classic black and white movies. Also, Doing the fact Logan that in black it, and white doesn't make any damn sense. Well, also the fact that Werewolf by Night specifically has some things that are color, even particularly the, the bloodstone yes. is red, even during the black and white scenes, is a very strong visual identifier, and you lose that if everything's in color. Yeah, no, they built this whole movie special, whatever you want to call it, around the fact it was black and white. Like that was baked in at concept level. Yeah. Anyway, back to Universal movie monsters that are like actually Universal. Uh, the first attempt at seemingly rebooting the the series as like a, a you know post was Dracula Untold after the Avengers. Yeah, Dracula Untold's post Avengers. Okay, so yeah, that was their first attempt at relaunching. That's which like now that I know that Dracula came out the same year as Frankenstein, it it makes sense. But also, vampires were we super... were riding the vampire train in 2012. Yeah, not that vampires have ever not been popular, but they were particularly popular at there's, the time. There's shifting demographics. We're coming out of the zombie phrase that I don't know what next is going to be. Yeah, I mean, there were at least two extremely commercially successful vampire franchises that were either finishing or had finished by that point. So it it, it makes sense that they True figured... Blood is still a hot commodity. Yeah, so they tried to make Dracula Untold. I never watched it. I did. I heard nothing good about it so it's i bad. never cared it's bad so here's the problem with dracula untold concept wise it's great so here's here's the pitch that i'm going to make you what if we told the story of vlad the impaler who became a vampire to save his country and then was destroyed by becoming that monster and became the monster we all know today feel like francis ford coppola's dracula played with similar with a similar idea exactly we're in the same thing but we're gonna have a budget and we're gonna have big epic battles and we're gonna you know do this big medieval style battle and we've got the dude that played bard from hobbit he kind of looks like a sexy leading man not a bad concept right okay go on now to fail. the movie will trip over itself constantly to excuse his actions and try and redeem him and say he's not that bad a guy. And he's actually not the Dracula that we all know. That's another Dracula living up in the mountain. Wait, wait. He's a liter There's literally multiple Draculas? Yes. In that movie? Why? <laughs> because the I, know, I, get, I understand. <laughs> I, you just explained why. So they could try to make the lead character... Uh, Sympathetic. Yeah, absent of wrongdoing. You can have a character be sympathetic and empathetic while still be in the wrong. You don't... All right. So whatever. the end the end teaser for the first Dark Universe is the Dracula in the Mountains going, Ah, so the world has changed and my time has come. And it's like, oh, there's going to be an evil Dracula. It's going to fight the good Dracula. 
that's it's like no so that, you had it tragic story of a dude that sacrificed himself to save his country i'm gonna have to wikipedia dracula and told you so i could read the plot line now it's I, just and it, it it's dumb and like they it's like a superhero movie too like he gets superpowers on the battlefield before he fully transforms but he never becomes the monster okay and I'm like, come on, you were so close, so close to this being good. Yeah, well, it's still better than their next attempt, which oh, was, boy. was the mummy. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise's The Mummy. They made what a year point was of that? that in the 20, 2016, something like that? Yeah, somewhere in the dark, the dark years. Yeah, well, anyway, it was an attempt to remake The Mummy, and it was with Tom Cruise playing very obviously a different spin on the Brendan Fraser's character from his version of The Mummy but also changing up the character of the mummy entirely from my understanding. This time it's a sexy mummy. <laughs> uh, you know, I actually have no problem with gender swapping, like iconic characters. I that think there's bother. a lot of interesting things to be done with it. This wasn't a case that did anything interesting with it. Yeah. Well, I was about to say is that if the only reason you gender swap a character is so you can make sexy version of them, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> it's not good. Enough. And like if Dracula, okay. I can see where you might have threads here. The mummy? Terrifying monster. Not supposed to be boner bait. Supposed to be a decaying corpse? Yes. It is. And then that's what they really leaned into the dark universe, what they did to the, oh, Dr. Jekyll is part yeah, of. Yeah, because it's, what, Kurt Russell playing the? No, no not Kurt Russell. Uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Different He's playing Dr. Jekyll, and he's part of their version of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they've got the creature from the black lagoons claw in the thing and it's all hinting like oh doctor and they cast everybody like johnny depp was going to be the hunchback or maybe he's the little <laughs> man or something <laughs> i hadn't heard that one. Oh yeah no they, they cast they cast everybody in their roles and it's so fun to look back on now they've made this special dark universe logo i'm like oh you fuckers learned nothing from before these are not superhero franchises this isn't an action franchise and even, even if you, it's funny because only, I can only think of one franchise that has successfully launched as a franchise from movie one, and that's Spider-Verse. And we only have two movies there, but, but that was like a whole number of unique things happened there. Every other time we've seen someone try to establish their universe in one movie, no. Kong Skull Island didn't even try to do that. Like it may, it maybe a little bit hint at like stuff, but because Monarch existed, but that wasn't until Godzilla. They really anyway, anyway, I'm trying to find the cast, like who they had for Dark Universe, because there was some there's some really good also, talent in there. I'll be clear. I'm usually on the side of defending Tom Cruise as an actor because I think he's actually very skilled as an actor. But I feel like you also have to. Uh, OK, there are some actors that can slot in and adapt to whatever you need them to be very easily. And there are some actors that you need to find the right thing for them to do beforehand and i think cruz fits in that ladder more often he doesn't seem like an extremely other than tropic thunder which is unique oftenside he, he's not an extremely versatile talent he's just very good at doing the things he's good at doing which are mission impossible type roles yeah and top gun stuff like that yeah no this was just and then we get to the one movie that was so far in development they couldn't touch it that actually worked and that's the Invisible Man. Yeah, but part of what's great about the Invisible Man is that it's completely retooled in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, 
the focus isn't even on the invisible man like in, in any of these other movies the monster really is the like the fo- well okay the mummy wasn't the case but different point is to shift the invisible man entirely to uh maybe this woman is just crazy <laughs> is well, i mean obviously she's not question but... of what if your abuser could turn invisible and yeah. for 50 percent of the population or probably more that's a fucking terrifying thought what if the worst person you knew was invisible what's funny is i just i don't even think of the invisible man as being in the same like state because you know, it's good not just because it's good but also because it's it's like it's a sci-fi movie i mean yes the original invisible man is technically a sci-fi movie because he he created a formula but in the new one it's a suit it's not even like he becomes invisible man he just has a suit that lets him become invisible and for some reason that changes entirely and also it's one of the best shot movies ever mm-hmm. period regardless of whether you like it or not you've got to respect that that the skill of framing so that you always feel like is there a person where there's not a person there i'm sure yeah this is leigh winnell this is james wan's buddy that came up they came up together doing saw he is a hell of a director yeah i just i'm invisible the, the new invisible man always amazes me at its use of blocking yes and framing it's so it's so smart because it's like Every shot, we should be making you wonder, where is he in this room? Because he could be anywhere. It is utilizing your monster to the max. Which, yeah. we talk about the mummy, or we talk about Dracula Untold. The monster is shoved off to the side, like, no, no, you are, you will not be the monster of this flick. You will be the inciting incident, and then we'll find a way to make you the hero. Because mm. I think at the end of The Mummy, Tom Cruise becomes the mummy. What? Yeah, like that's the end is like he becomes the mummy. You know, I'm only regretting not seeing these now because I don't have context to really talk about them. They wanted to have a big Avengers style team up where all the good versions of the monsters fought whatever evil versions they had lying around. And it's just like, no, that's dumb. That's not why this works. Yeah, like fighting Abbott and Costello. They don't need to team up to fight anyone. Yeah, the idea of having them all team up in a movie is not a bad idea. The idea of having them all team up as good guys to fight evil versions of like themselves, that's a terrible idea. Yeah, the reason why we mentioned Abbott and Costello's crossovers work really well is because Abbott and Costello are the main characters being harassed and attacked by these things. Yep, and it's again, it's great. Like We have two comedians that are really good at reacting and playing off each other and playing off others. What if we took these iconic monsters that you all remember and put them in this scenario? Or, I mean, if we look at Van Helsing, Van Helsing as a narrative character, not not the movie, although, sure, count the movie too, but Van Helsing as a narrative character is the perfect opportunity if you're going to do something like this, because they're monsters. These yes. are horror-ish, horror-adjacent properties at the very... I mean, again, these are the foundations of horror cinema, so that I, you know, I want to call them straight horror, but... In a modern setting, if you're going to make these movies, you should still treat all the monsters as horror movie monsters. And then you want to make the Avengers thing, have it so that it's basically the inversion of the Avengers, where it's all about a bunch of the villains teaming up and you've got one good guy who has to figure out how to put them all back where they belong. Well, okay. Let's say you want to do the connected universe. Then Van Helsing is your connective tissue. Or... A brand new character, because honestly, if we're pitching, which we're kind of transitioning into, 
they've already laid the seeds for how I would do uh, the the monster universe with the last the last voyage of the Demeter. Okay, well let's hit pause real quick because we got to answer the big thing. Why do these keep failing? Because there's Honestly, a whole school of thought people that I've heard say these are of their time. They cannot be replicated today. That's why they'll never work. No, they're they're, they're incorrect. And I think Otherwise... you're all wrong. I, I, I'm agree. Like people are like, oh, the invisible man doesn't really count because he's not really an invisible man. He's a dude in a suit. Like he's an invisible man who torments a woman. That is the premise that we need. There's a dude that yeah. turns invisible. Done. And werewolf and werewolf by night shows us Wolfman working. Yeah. Okay, we don't we do not have to do one to ones because we have the originals. The originals are great. This is let us take the ideas from these originals and have these big names that everyone knows and tell new stories with them. Even even if you wanted to more properly remake the originals, there's a basic fundamental thing I think you can do that that works or that works. Sorry, that is okay. Wolfman did this and it didn't work, but Wolfman had other problems, and I mean like new Wolfman. Yeah. Which is when you've got characters like these that come from a very specific time and place, divorcing them from that time and place doesn't work unless you radically retool them, which is why Invisible Man worked. Some, so you gotta you know where to pull. Like I think Wolfman, Wolfman is kind of timeless. Frankenstein, yeah, no, nah, Frankenstein's a bit more centralized time-wise. I would argue Dracula is actually one of the best examples of this, and Dracula Renfield's a great too. example because I liked Renfield, I do, but part of what it's Snagathor. Yeah, part of what's fun about Renfield, though, is that Nicolas Cage's version of Dracula is completely divorced from time. Like, he has not changed at all in 80 years. That's part of what makes him enjoyable to bounce off Renfield, who is kind of a modern character. So if you want to tell a proper Bram Stoker's Dracula story, you do it back at the time Bram Stoker's Dracula was originally set. (laughs) I think you could still update and do it like contemporary because the BBC, when they did their Dracula, two out of three of those were really, really good. And I'm not saying it's a, a perfect cure. Cause again, the new Wolfman tried to do that and still failed. I'm just saying that I don't think that I think it was just, they had a bad script. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying that the mummy part of what I don't like about the mummy was it setting in like a modern city and, and stuff. I, again, I didn't actually see it. So I can't, I just know that one of the reasons I wasn't interested in it was I remember seeing the trailers and just like, None of this looks like believable, and yeah. believable doesn't mean realistic. Believable just means I can just like I can get invested in the story of the movie. There are plenty of ridiculous things that you that are done well enough that you can do that for. Yeah, and, and I would uh, argue that the problem with the Mummy, the problem with Dracula Untold, and the problem even with Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, is these are not horror movies; they're action movies. And that's yeah. never what these movies, these franchises, this was never what these were. These were horror movies. Let them be scary. That's why Invisible Man works. Invisible Man is scary. It's like, weirdly no, enough, no, we're going to be, this is going to be a scary movie. We got a horror director to do it. Well, I'm not against playing around with genre convention of them. Yes. Hell, that's what Shape of Water was. It was taking the concept of the, the Gill Man and basically making a romance period piece out of it. But that doesn't mean you make them all action movies. In fact, if I'm looking at this list, the only one that I would personally turn an action movie is the Wolfman. And again, yes. World by Night did that. Yeah, no, I was just thinking like, yeah, I don't know the idea. The thread of the idea is Wolfman. I want a werewolf in the trenches of World War One. Oh, well, that's a great idea. I like that. I don't know anything else about it, but that looks like, like I had to put ideas on a board. Wolfman, World War One. You don't know who it is. You don't know which side he's on. You don't know if he's malevolent or benevolent. You just know he's here. 
that that those are the ideas I came to like. And even then, it's kind of a action, but it's mainly rooted rooted in horror and suspense because that's what these movies are. And yeah. That's why they keep failing. They're not scary. They're not even trying to be scary. They're trying to be big popcorny action set pieces. And that's the thing. You can make the horror can be made cheap, and that's what these movies should be. Because you also kind of have to get the audience back to the idea of recognizing the Invisible Man, the Wolf Man, the Gill Man, Bride of Frankenstein, the Mummy. Well, it's funny because if I'm the one that I would want to make would be the a new Gill Man. Now, again, we had Shape of Water, which is great. But if I want a proper remake of the Gill Man, but I want to do something a little modernized, I'm going to do a contemporary and not set it in the original. Although I still think that setting it back in the original time period would probably be worthwhile I think that's your smartest and then you can play off because gilman is born of nuclear fear and mutations and again the atomic era of monsters but one of my favorite movies that i think we could apply a lot of the lessons to is underwater particularly the concept of the darkness of underwater now yeah. we'd have to retool it a bit to make it work for the gilman so i'm thinking mix the concepts of underwater with the descent but a, but a gilman That'd be good. Yeah, that's how I would do it. So you've got probably people in a cave system that has like a big underwater lake Dude, or something. Dude, you do one of those like the what they call blue holes, like the holes that open in the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, just something like that. That's how I would probably and and if you're gonna set it contemporary, that's how I would do Gilman, something like that. I still think you can do a lot of fun with turn of the century, like with the big oh, no, diving absolutely. helms that limit your point of view. Absolutely. I'm just saying that if I was going to try to modernize it, if we're if we're talking about pitching to make a theoretical a cinematic universe that doesn't fall on its face <laughs> and, and we want everything to be set in the same time period and we want that to be a modern time period, which, again, I'm not actually in that. I would prefer setting it back in like eight, basically trying to make a better version of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen at that point. Yeah, uh, then that's how I would do it. But again, I think that the, the best way to do it right now we just had the last voyage of the Demeter, which had a completely original character. Uh, spoilers for the last voyage of the Demeter, by the way. So real quick, last voyage of the Demeter is a full length movie version of a small section of Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's all about Dracula going from his country into uh, London on a ship and how everyone on that ship gets killed in the original which, story. How did they never think to adapt that? Because one of the best bits of that original book, I'm like, there is there is meat on this bone. And the result not yeah, and the result is almost entirely Ridley Scott's alien, but with Dracula on a boat. That's that's what the movie is. Which again, why haven't we done this already? I mean, I'm always pro remaking alien. Like it works it's, yeah, almost every I mean, time I swear. It's a really good concept. We're gonna take average people, put them in a contained scenario, and then let in a monster. Yeah, I mean you could argue the thing is that too. Which I'm <laughs> I mean now that... realizing that's my evil billionaire scenario. Trap people I hate in a contained maze and release a monster. Yeah. That's how I'll solve anyway, the billionaire problem. I'll just release billionaires in a maze with a monster. I'm on board with this plan. Point <laughs> is, Last Voyage of the Demeter invents a new character whose name escapes me right now. But at the end of the movie, he's the only one to survive. And he knows what Dracula is. He doesn't know what Dracula looks like outside of his monster form because Dracula never bothers to not look like Nosferatu because he doesn't have to hide on the boat. He's going to kill everyone as far as he's concerned. But the movie ends with this guy 
on the hunt for Dracula in London. Now, because the the movie is literally calls out at the beginning, like this is from Bram Stoker's Dracula, like the movie is upfront about being a fiction a story. Yeah. Then what I don't know what their plan is, but this character is perfectly positioned as now you can have him hunt monsters. Yeah, you could, no, again, you could be a tie. You, if you have to have a connective thread, have it be the Van Helsing line. Have yeah. there be a Van Helsing in every one of these movies. Have them reference back to each other. They don't necessarily all have to come together, but if you want that connected universe secret sauce, that's it. Have a character that weaves through. They reference things back and forth. They take place across time, wherever they fit best. Yeah, and take inspiration. Take inspiration from Van Helsing and from the Belmont family. Just combine these concepts. <laughs> yeah, no, that that is really what you you keep them horror movies. Like again, you can reference. I don't know. In the Mummy, you reference this horrible slaughter that went on on the fronts of you know World War One on the Western Front. No, Eastern Front. World War Front, Western Front gets too much station. Eastern Front was really fucked up. References yeah, to Wolfman. One of the people that survived that is now working mercenary contracts in the mummy when they are attempting to unearth this mummy. We make it a commentary on colonialism and pillaging of native artifacts. Yeah. And well, that's the thing, too, is that the way I would then pitch it, because, again, if we get to the actual Avengers style team up, we're now assembling the villains, not the heroes. Do not turn these monster characters into heroes. They are not that. Mm -hmm. Instead... I would probably, and I'm just spitballing here, so this would be up for a lot of change. I'd make it so that, like, someone who is connected to the organization that our Van Helsing character is starting it then collects all of the entities that have been captured, sealed away, whatever, for their own purpose. Honestly. I've got a fix. Okay, we've seen this stupid shit that Elon Musk and other billionaires do. It's a million. It's a billionaire that wanted to buy the monsters for his own personal joy and amusement. Sure, but the point is that gets all of the the creatures into one location, like a yep. mansion or something, and then one of them, probably Dracula, gets out, and then because Dracula is the one who has like you know, is basically a smart entity. And so then he goes and willfully opens up the other ones. And now you've got to bring back in our Van Helsing character to be like, hey, all the things that you spent the last like five years capturing are now free in this town. Uh, can you go deal with it? And maybe we don't do all of them. But if you get Dracula, uh, the mummy and Wolfman in a room together. That's really interesting. And we can play with which version of the Wolfman this is, their motivations. Hell, throw in a Jekyll and Hyde as a, you know, build to part two. Yeah, but point is that I think the key difference from what they've tried to do versus what we're talking about is leaving these characters as the monsters, the villains, yes. and having your protagonist be the thing that is, you know, against them, not, not them. We are of a generation that, watch people grow up loving Freddy and Jason and Michael Myers and Chucky. And like, listen, you do not have to sell people on the monsters. People Hell. already love the monsters. Hell as, as, as much of a not great movie as it is, Freddy versus Jason is actually a pretty solid template for how to do this. You could have yep. one character like Dracula, who is specifically trying to enthrall one of the other monsters. And then you've got people dealing with that. Well, I think the first crossover was Dracula versus the Wolfman. I mean, that's it's funny because I mentioned before that the Van Helsing movie has a lot of good concepts that are not executed greatly. And that's that's basically what I'm saying, like remove Frankenstein from that movie and just have it be like 
Van Helsing as werewolf fighting Dracula. Yeah, and I, see, Frankenstein's the hard one to do because he's essentially a sympathetic character, but that doesn't mean you can't make a new Frankenstein movie. I mean, yes, Splice already did it, but less incest version this time. Yeah, I fucking hate Splice. I don't think it's a bad movie. It's a it's a good science fiction horror movie that I fucking hate. All right, it is just it's an ice pick of things straight to Axel's no no zone. Yeah, it squicks me out in so many ways, and it pisses me off in a lot of ways. And I, I never claim it's bad. I just hate it. <laughs> but there's meat on the bone to do a contemporary telling of Frankenstein. Oh, I would love to see, like, you mentioned, like, a billionaire. Like, imagine, like, a billionaire's son who goes to medical school and, you know, because he has no concept for the meaning of life, that's what leads him down the the research of death. Oh, and... you're making like make Dr. Frankenstein the out and out monster of the story. Yeah. That'd be good. <laughs> like again, forget, forget the so whole half and ideas. half. Yeah. Have him like literally buying cemeteries with his crazy family money so that he can just so you can use the body parts. And then you can have a lot of like metaphor and theme in there. Pretty like, I feel like it writes itself at that point. But See, the yeah, only totally. idea I had for Bride of Frankenstein was this is a man that, in a drunken rage murdered his wife and is now trying to resurrect her. I, I guess I don't 100% like that idea, but I'm I got saying nothing is for that. If we two idiots can pitch these ideas, there are screenwriters that can make these work. Well, there are probably also people because we are not film critics and we are mm. not film writers. I do not like, like associating myself with that. I'm just too a many fucking... people put that mantle on themselves that do not deserve it. Yeah, we're just fucking enjoyers of the medium. That's it. And we're just saying like stuff that we th I could easily see someone who's like a professional writer smacking me and being like, here are the reasons why what you're saying is dumb. But cool. Go and make this. I want these. I want the Universal Monsters to make a comeback because they are so iconic. They are so fun. And no, don't think you have to stick like, oh, it has to be just like the original. We have the originals. That is yeah, not but the my, of a remake. If you take one thing away from this conversation for me and weirdly enough like i guess the mummy try kind of did this but then reneged on it at the end but let them be the villains and you can anti you know anti-avengers with villains i also here's another thing it doesn't have to be a cinematic universe at all if i like i like the idea that with abin costello it was literally like a parody of a cinematic universe it's like they all came together for to, yeah, to interact with these comedians. I don't know what comedians are alive today that would be a good bet for, but I would, wouldn't be opposed to trying to do something like that again once you had established it. So there's a great bit in Abbott and Costello, which Abbott is being harassed by, you know, Dracula. And mm -hmm. he's convinced. And he goes to Costello and he's like, no, it's really happening. And he's like, would you take a look in the mirror? You're crazy. It's like, why would I do that to myself? I don't want to hurt my feelings. <laughs> and it's That's... this great just beat delivery. Like you almost, if you aren't paying attention, you miss the joke. So I, I love Evan Costello and I love Hope and Crosby. I've, I've actually watched uh, Road to Bali. I own Road to Bali. I haven't watched it in a few years. But it makes me wonder, is there anything like that when was the last time he had that like a proper just comedy duo the last thing i think is like maybe david spade and chris farley in their bits the but... thing the problem is and this is a whole other episode we could do i feel like the modern setting for movie stars comedians is no one has the ego to play the straight man hmm. like the closest we get is kevin hart and the rock but that's really not the same because... thing 
It's not. It's really, Kevin Hart being disparaging on himself and piling praise on The Rock. That is not straight man, funny man. It's funny because when I think of Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, for example, yes, like which is one of my favorite duos. I remember re- watching an interview where Gene Wilder talked about it was important for him to never try to out funny Rich to mm-hmm. just to just be his straight man and go along with what Rich was doing. And I totally can see that on paper, but in practice, it's a lot of the Gene Wilder lines that stick out in my head, but that's because he wasn't trying to like be the funny person. He was, he was just funny. I don't, I don't know. He was the master of the deadpan reaction. Yeah. So when you say that, I'm like, you can be the funnier of a duo by being the straight man. If you know what you're doing. (laughs) And the funny thing is John Cena is already a great straight man in his comedy because his humor comes not for his overreacting. It's the deadpan straightness of which he delivers his lines. What was that, uh, that movie where he was an overprotective parent blockers. I was about to mention blockers Blockers. because my favorite jokes in that is the guy goes, you tell us where this party is or our overly muscled friend. He'll rip you limb for limb. Firstly, no, I will not. Secondly, overly muscled. I don't think I'm overly muscled. I'm toned. You could look like this with a couple sessions at the gym. It's this perfect. <laughs> it's hilarious because he's so hurt by being called overly muscled while looking like John fucking Cena. Yeah. And again, I, it's I, delivered as a straight deadpan. And it, that John Cena and somebody else would be a great straight man, funny man duo. I just don't know who it is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who I would pair up with John Cena. Because I do John like... Cena, and again, coming from John Cena and uh, Dave Batista. Actually... But that's almost too I, straight man, straight man. Yeah, yeah, that's the two. Just get the guy who played Vigilante in Peacemaker. He's fucking hilarious. Dude, and they work together that's why really it works. Well. That is a straight man, funny man scenario. Yeah, One I don't know what that actor's name is. Over the top lines, the other is just reacting. That is the secret yeah. of Peacemaker. It is a straight man, funny man. But again, I think that comes from John Cena is, he doesn't have the ego about him. He's not the rock. Yeah, I don't know what that actor's name is, but that guy who played Vigilante was my favorite thing about Peacemaker. Okay, and... so tie it back. Who are they pairing them up with? John Cena oh, like, and the actor that played the vigilante. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Which one do we want to stick him in? I want to do Gilman. Um, at first, no, I think Mummy because I want, I want the, I want the stiff, slow Mummy that they have to deal with. <laughs> That's good. I just feel like you could get so many great visual jokes off the Gilman. Have you seen that thing? What the hell? Hold on, I'm, I'm looking up. I feel really. Let's see, v- vigilante in Peacemaker. I want to be able to say his name because he's such he a good credit. Freddie Stroma. There we go. Is his name. Let's get those anyway. two. They can be our modern Hobbit and Costello. Again, what we're saying is there's no reason this shouldn't have been successful other than studio exec mind rot thinking everything needs to be an action movie superhero flick. Well, again, they were trying to literally remake the Avengers with their IP when they should have taken the lessons of how the MCU constructed their universe and then applied them to the monster IP without doing a one-to-one conversion. Or just look at, you know, you had the roadmap. What did the originals do? Why were they successful? Do that again. Yeah. Well, as you said, you know, studio brain rot but i'm also an idiot and maybe what i'm saying is terrible so whatever maybe i don't know i again i'm just more frustrated than ever that we don't have a gilman 2023 or yeah because again i I loved underwater and don't get me wrong part of what i loved about it was the ending mind fuck but up until that point it was basically a gilman movie at the bottom of the mariana's trench (laughs) water isn't like i'm surprised uh, Thalassophobia is an incredibly common phobia. 
Yeah, well, that's why I said that if I was remaking Gilman, I'd do it in some situation where we could embrace the darkness underwater, like with underwater, but not the bottom area trench because we just did that. So that's why I like my cave idea. But darkness underwater is a whole new level of scary rather than just underwater or darkness. Well, I had it explained great to me. It's like we are primates. We grew up, we evolved in the trees. One of the advantages of land is you know the directions you can be attacked from and defend yourself. With water, there is a third one that you cannot defend yourself from. Yeah. Also, the fact that, like you said, because we're primates, we are not meant to be there. We can't yep. breathe. We can't hear. Like it, it is basic evolution. Going, what the fuck are you doing here? Get in the tree. Uh, That's where you I watched, belong. Yeah, I watched a YouTube video from someone recently. I forgive me, I don't know his name, but he did a breakdown on why Finding Nemo is a horror movie, and I just sat there, nod my head, like, yeah, that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, the, the, the evolution of the human brain, like the basic shit, like weird little side tangent. Did you know that primates and snakes have been in an arms race? I did not know that. No. So basically, like evolutionarily speaking, primates have evolved a heightened sense uh, ability to recognize snakes almost okay. above almost any other primate. This is okay. most apparent in regions where primates and venomous snakes exist. So think Africa and Asia. Okay. This is also matched by the fact that many snake venoms are so much more powerful than they need to be to kill their prey because they're designed to defend themselves against us. Against big apes. Yes. Apes okay. and primate, or primates and snakes have been in an arms race to kill each other because neither likes the other. I wonder how the Taipan fits into that. Do you know what the Taipan is? No. Taipan is the snake in the world that has the most concentrated venom, but the snake itself is about the length of a pencil. And it's so it's not actually like that dangerous because it's easy to avoid, uh, but it is it's known as the mouse atom bomb because one drop of its venom contains enough concentrated poison to kill the same number of mice that an atom bomb would kill humans. Yeah, but that's the, like I watched the whole video and basically it's talking about primates evolved the ability because we lived in trees to spot snakes as a threat. Like we pick, we are able to pick them out so easily. Like even monkeys today recognize it and have a fear response to it. And snakes evolved to venom. By the way, for anyone listening, I'm pulling that information on the Taipan from my memory of the most extreme snakes, which was a, a great, the most extreme was a great show on Animal Planet. So I could be off. Don't fucking quote me <laughs> yeah no my daughter anyway. was just watching a whole thing on snakes the other like venomous snakes and it got me thinking i'm like it always bugs me like why you eat mice why do you need venom that will destroy my heart that doesn't seem fair and the answer is because we started clubbing the fuckers I'm like okay that's fair <laughs> i like that 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 logic is just that's very ulrich logic like oh no that makes sense okay <laughs> listen listen we start we i don't know who started this because there's again there's a big debate of which evolutionary branch started first following the dinosaurs snakes or mammals and primates all right well we have really tangented this was mostly we wanted an excuse to talk about the universal movie monsters because as Ulrich said we never actually did and Vuto was a great time to do it so I don't have any concluding thoughts other than I want a, I want a creature from the Black Lagoon. Just give me a movie that's literally the creature from the Black Lagoon, but updated. To fucking do it. <laughs> My concluding thoughts is most of these movies are available either free on YouTube or through, I believe, Peacock, I think, owns 
Universal is. You know, next Universal. time I visit you, we should watch some of this. Again, I own them all now. Some are better than others, and they're just they're fun watches. Like it's it's just this fun look back into how we used to make movies. Even the really cheesy stuff is like they were trying so hard to mask the strings. <laughs> all right. Well, that's the end of our topic. We've been talking for, I think, a long, uh, the, the right amount of time. So we move right into our suggestions of the week. Yep. All right. Mine is not on topic, but Ulrich's is. So let's get mine out of the way really quick. I've been watching a lot of a YouTube channel recently called Me So Hungry, which is just a guy who, like, reviews cookbooks and has a really good, like, basic kind of deadpan. And not basic. It's the wrong word. A really good, like, deadpan sense of humor. I want to say basic because one cool thing about him is that he's not, like, a high-level chef. He's kind of a regular dude who makes mistakes and owns up to them when he does, and it makes him feel very relatable, and he's very funny. Me so hungry. Spelled I-E at the end. Very good. Hold on. How does he review cookbooks? Uh, he he'll he'll do an opening bit that's related to whatever the cookbook is, and then he'll start flipping through it as he's talking about like what's good about it, what's bad about it. For example, he puts a lot of value on having uh, HD pictures of the food because that way, when you're trying to make it, you can tell if you're doing it right as comparison. He talks about what makes it interesting compared to like other cookbooks, like the. Uh, the some cookbooks will that are based on things like Lord of the or uh, not Lord of the Rings, so like uh, Game of Thrones or One Piece or whatever, will have like bits in the book that are snippets from whatever the material they're from. Uh, some cookbooks, those things are too much and get in the way. He'll talk about like how clear the instructions are, uh, how detailed they are, whether they give you the kind of like uh, one of the books he reviewed was the Necronom Nom Nom, which is wonderful. But he talked about having to flip back and forth between the back and the, the like the middle to, to see like the proper, you know, pictures and steps and how like that's annoying to have to do that. So yeah, he just reviews cookbooks and, and then, Oh, he'll make three or four dishes from the cookbook. He'll just pick three or four. He'll make them. He'll show you himself making them. And then he'll tell you what they, what he thinks about them. And he's funny the whole time. He's, he's very good content. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Me so hungry. We should clarify miso as in the food. Yes. M-I-S-O-H-U-N-G-R-I-E. When I first found him, he had like, I think he had like less than 10,000 subscribers. He's only been on YouTube for like a couple of years. But now he, I know that his uh, One Piece cookbook video has like millions of views. Because One lot. Piece is fucking blowing up in ways I never thought. Uh, well, that shows a fundamental misunderstanding of what, but anyway, uh, I think he, some of his other, I think his uh, his Minecraft one also has like tons and tons of views, but most of his stuff hits the like thirty to forty k number yeah, of views. So like, good. yeah, just not like you know, mon- he's not like Babish level big or something. Ah, uh, well, Babish I like him more though. Turf money, so we don't talk about him anymore. Yes, so go watch me so hungry. He's good stuff. <laughs> all right. Anyways, keeping on theme as I have all Bootober, I'm gonna talk about a show that was custom built for my daughter called Frankelda's book of spooks. Mm-hmm. It is stop motion tales from the crypt for kids. That sounds fun. Basically the whole premise is, and I didn't is there is a main character named Frankelda. She writes scary stories of about, you know, children learning lessons and it's all done in stop motion. Okay. And so I did some research on this. This is just now coming to HBO Max in America, but it was funded by HBO going, 
we want to fund a bunch of locally sourced TV shows for HBO Latino. So this is a mm-hmm. Mexican studio and every episode involves a story about a kid, a musical number, and then a moral at the end. Okay. So one of the formula. good formula. And again, this is really fucking good stop motion. I mean, it's not what you'd call smooth, but the models are super detailed and creepy. Mm-hmm. And like, again, it's, it's fucking tales from the crypt. I'll spoil the first one. The first one is there's a little boy who doesn't like how much pressure he's under from his, you know, parents to do his chores and his homework and whatnot. And he would just give anything not to have to do that. And the story, like the narrator kind of subtly nudge nudges. He doesn't realize that if he just, you know, focused and did these things, he'd be able to do all the fun stuff he wanted. Mm-hmm. And then a troll comes along and says, oh no, sorry. It's a gnome which is the weirdest thing because this is not a gnome in any fucking sense. It's got a big warty nose and it looks like a troll. Okay. And goes, hey, trade me your name. I'll do all your work for you. What's the harm in giving me your name? That sounds like some Rumpelstiltskin trickery. Yeah. The gnome takes his name and assumes his life. Yeah. And the kid becomes a gnome and has to repeat the process on another kid so that he Mm. can get back. Yep. That sounds like that's classic. It's a fucking Tales from the Crypt. And again, it's really short. There's only like five episodes. But if you know anything about stop motion, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, it's very difficult to do. But the coolest thing is every episode ends with behind the scenes shots of how they made it, which my daughter loved because she got to see the actual process of making the models, animating the models, building the sets. And I'm like, this is really fucking cool because, again, it fits that niche of this is something spooky, kind of scary that you can show to someone under 12. Sidebar, have you shown her Leica stuff yet? Oh, dude, she loves Leica. All right, good. Go on. Yeah, no, but her being able to see this, and again, it's really fucking cool, and I guess it's done so well because they kind of, there's an overarching narrative of who is Frank Helda, why is she in this house, what is she afraid of, because like everyone goes, oh, no, we have to be quiet. We can't awaken him. Hmm. And again, there's this whole kind of meta narrative going over the top that ends with a cliffhanger, and I guess they did it like when they pitched it like, we would like to make another season or another movie or something out of this. And I guess it was so popular that they greenlit a movie. Nice. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's on HBO max. It just dropped. And again, if you love tales from the crypt, if you love stop motion, or if you're looking for something you can show, it's plenty creepy. Like it doesn't pull back, but it's not too scary. This It's perfect. Okay. Excellent. Good for the season. Yes. Excellent for the season. All right. right. Well, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things, because after this, we're going on our annual podcast break. There will be a few more episodes coming out after this, but we're really just taking some time off till the new year to recuperate, to rest, and come back with new ideas. So if you want to keep up with us, make sure you are subscribed on your favorite platform. And whatever platform that is, hopefully that's the one that we're on currently that you're listening to, and thank you for doing that. But if you had to... I don't know why the, the the word escapes me, but if you if you had to use some other platform to listen to us and not your favorite one because we're not on your favorite one, well, tell us what your favorite one is, and if we can make it happen, we'll make it happen. As always, it's been Lark Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.